Section 7 of the Natural History, Volume 4. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read for you by Chiquito Craster. The Natural History, Volume 4 by Pliny the Elder. Translated by John Bostock and Henry Thomas Riley. Section 7. Chapter 62. The Ivy. Twenty varieties of it. It is said that the ivy now grows in Asia, though Theophrastus has denied that such is a fact, and asserts that it grows nowhere in India except upon Mount Meros. He says, too, that Harpalus used every possible exertion to naturalize it in Medea, but to no purpose, and that Alexander, in consequence of the rarity of this plant, has himself crowned with it, after the example of Father Lieber when returning victorious with his army from india and at the present day even it is used to it is used to decorate the tharsis of that god and the casks and bucklers employed by the nations of thrace in their sacred ceremonials the ivy is injurious to all trees and plants and makes its way through tombs and walls it forms a haunt much frequented by serpents for its refreshing coolness so that it is a matter for astonishment that there should have been such remarkable veneration for this plant. The two principal kinds in the ivy, as in other plants, are the male tree and the female. The male is said to have a larger trunk than the female, and a leaf that is harder and more unctuous, with a flower nearly approaching to purple. Indeed, the flower of both the male and the female tree strongly resembles the wild rose, were it not destitute of smell. Each of these kinds of ivy is divided into three other varieties the white ivy, the black, and a third known as the helix. These varieties are again subdivided into others, as there is one in which the fruit only is white, and another in which it is only the leaf that is so. In those which have a white fruit, the berry in some cases is closely packed and large, the clusters which are known as corymbi being of a spherical form. So too with the selenitium, which has a smaller berry and fewer clusters, and the same is the case with the black ivy. One kind has a black seed, and another seed of a saffron colour. It is this last that poets use for their chaplets, and leaves of it are not so black as in the other kinds. By some it is known as the ivy of Nysa, by others as that of Bacchus. It is the one that among the black varieties has the largest clusters of all. Some of the Greek writers even distinguish in this last kind two varieties, according to the colour of the berries, the erythranum and the chrysocarpus. It is the helix, however, that has the most peculiarities of all, and in the appearance of the leaf, more particularly, which is small, angular, and of a more elegant shape, the leaf in all other kinds being plain and simple. It differs, too, in the distance between the joints, and in being barren more especially, as it never bears fruit. Some authors, however, think that this difference exists solely in respect of age, and not of kind, and are of the opinion that what is the helix when young becomes the ordinary ivy when old. This, however, is clearly proved to be an error upon their part, for we find more varieties of the helix than one, and three in particular, that of a grass-green colour, which is the most abundant of all, the kind with a white leaf, and a third, which is party-coloured and known as the Thracian helix. 
in that of a grass green colour the leaves are smaller more closely packed together and symmetrically arranged while in the other kinds the features are altogether different in the parti-coloured kind also one variety has a smaller leaf than usual similarly arranged and lying closer together while in the other none of these features are observed the leaves too are either greater or smaller and differ in the disposition of the spots upon them and in the white helix some of them are whiter than others the grass green variety however is the one that grows to the greatest height the white helix is in the habit of killing trees by depriving them of their juices and increases to such a degree of density as to be quite a tree itself its characteristics are a very large broad leaf and projecting buds which in all other kinds are bent inwards its clusters too stand out erect although too all the ivies have arms and throw out a root those of this variety are particularly branchy and strong next to it in strength are those of the black ivy it is a peculiarity of the white ivy to throw out arms from the middle of the leaves with which it invariably embraces any object that may be on either side of it this is the case too with walls even though it should not be able to clasp them if the trunk is cut across in ever so many places it will still live and thrive having as many fresh roots as it has arms by means of which it ensures safety and impunity while at the same time it sucks and strangles the trees to which it clings there are great differences also in the fruit of both the white ivy and the black for in some of them the berry is so bitter that birds will not touch it there is an ivy also which grows upright and stands without any support being the only one that does so among all the varieties it has thence obtained the distinctive name of sisos the camay sisos on the other hand is never found except creeping upon the ground chapter sixty three the smilax very similar to the ivy is a plant which first came from cilicia but is now more commonly found in greece and known by the name of smilax it has numerous thick stalks covered with joints and thorny branches of a shrub-like form the leaf resembles that of the ivy but is not angular while from the footstalk it throws out tendrils the flower is white and has a smell of the lily it bears clusters like those of the wild vine and not the ivy and of a reddish colour the larger berries contain three stones the smaller but only one these berries are black and hard this plant is looked upon as ill-omened and is consequently banished from all sacred rites and is allowed to form no part of chaplets having received this mournful character from the maiden smilax who upon her love being slighted by the youth crocus was transformed into the shrub the common people being mostly ignorant of this not unfrequently take it for ivy and pollute their festivities with its presence for who in fact is unaware that the ivy is used as a chaplet by poets as also by father lieber and silenus tablets are made of wood of the smilax and it is a peculiarity of this wood to give out a slight sound if held close to the ear it is said that ivy it is said that ivy is remarkably efficacious for testing wine and that a vessel made of this wood will let the wine pass through it while the water will remain behind if there has been any mixed with it chapter sixty four water plants the rush twenty-eight varieties of the reed among these plants which thrive best in cold localities it will be only proper to mention the aquatic shrubs in the first rank we find the reed equally indispensable for the emergencies of war and peace and used among the appliances of luxury even 
the northern nations make use of reeds for roofing their houses and the stout thatch thus formed will last for centuries even in other countries too they make light vaulted ceilings with them reeds are employed too for writing upon paper those of egypt more particularly which have a close affinity to the papyrus the most esteemed however are the reeds of knidos and those which grow in asia on the margin of the anaitic lake there the reed of our country is naturally of a more fungous nature being formed of a spongy cartilage which is hollow within and covered by a thin dry woody coat without it easily breaks into splinters which are remarkably sharp at the edge in other respects it is of a thin graceful shape articulated with joints and tapering gradually towards the top which ends in a thick hairy tuft this tuft is not without its uses as it is employed for filling the beds used in taverns in places of feathers or else when it has assumed a more ligneous consistency it is pounded as we see done among the belgi and inserted between the joints of ships to close the seams a thing that it does most effectually being more tenacious than glue and adhering more firmly than pitch chapter sixty five reeds used for arrows and for the purpose of writing it is by the aid of the reed that the nations of the east decide their wars fixing it in a barbed point they inflict a wound from which the arrow cannot be withdrawn by the addition of feathers they accelerate the flight of this instrument of death and the weapon if it breaks in the wound furnishes the combatants with a weapon fresh with these missiles the warriors darken the very rays of the sun it is for this reason more particularly that they desire a clear and serene sky and hold in abhorrence all windy and rainy weather which has the effect of compelling them in spite of themselves to be at peace with one another if a person were carefully to enumerate the peoples of ethiopia egypt arabia india scythia bactria and samartia together with all the numerous peoples of the east and the vast realms of the parthians he would find that fully one half of mankind throughout the whole world live under a dominion imposed by the agency of the arrow it was their surpassing excellence in this arm that so ennobled the warriors of crete though in this respect as well as in all others italy has gained the mastery there being no reed in existence better adapted for making arrows than that found in the renus a river of the territory of bononia filled with a greater quantity of pith than any of the others it is light and easily cleaves the air while at the same time it has sufficient weight to resist the action of the wind an advantage that is not possessed in equal degree by those employed among the belgi these advantages however are possessed by the most approved kinds that are found in crete although those in india are preferred in the opinion of some persons however these last are of a totally different nature for by adding a point to them the natives are able to use them as lances even indeed we find that in india the reed grows to the thickness of a tree a fact which is proved by the specimens which are everywhere to be seen in our temples the indians assure us that in this plant too there is a distinction of male and female the body of the male being more compact and of the female of a larger size in addition to this if we can credit the fact a simple compartment between the joints is sufficiently large to answer the purposes of a boat these reeds are found more particularly on the banks of the river assassinus in every variety of the reed a single root gives birth to numerous stems and if cut down they will shoot again with increased fecundity 
The root, which is naturally tenacious of life, is also jointed as well as the stem. The reeds of India are the only ones in which the leaves are short, but in all the varieties these leaves take their rise at the joints and surround the stem with a fine tissue about halfway upwards to the next joint, and then leave the stem and root downwards. The reed as well as the calamus, although rounded, has two sides, which throw out leaves alternately from above the joints, in such a way that when one springs from the right side, the next issues from the joint above it on the left hand, and so in turns. Branches, too, shoot occasionally from the stem, being themselves reeds of diminutive growth. Chapter 66 Flute reeds, the reed of Orchomenus, reeds used for fowling and fishing. The varieties of the reed are numerous. Some are more compact than others, thicker at the joints, and with a shorter interval between them, while others, again, are less compact, with longer intervals between the joints, and not so straight. Another kind of reed is quite hollow. It is known as a syringia, and is particularly useful for making flutes, having neither pith in it nor any fleshy substance. The reed of Orchomenus has a passage in it open from one end to the other, and is known as the oleticon. This last is best for making pipes, the former for the syrinx. There is another reed, the wood of which is thicker, and the passage very contracted, being entirely filled with a spongy kind of pith. One kind again is shorter, and another longer, the one thinner, the other more thick. That known as the donax throws out the more shoots, and grows only in watery localities. Indeed, this is a point which constitutes a very considerable difference, those reeds being greatly preferred which grow in a dry soil. The archer's reed forms a peculiar species, as we have already stated, but that of Crete has the longest intervals between the joints, and when subjected to heat is capable of being rendered perfectly pliable at pleasure. The leaves, too, constitute different varieties, not only by their number, but their color also. The reed of Laconia is spotted, and throws out a great number of shoots at the lower extremities. Being very similar in nature, it is taught to the reeds that we find growing about stagnant waters, and unlike those of the rivers in being covered with leaves of considerable length, which, climbing upwards, embrace the stem to a considerable distance above the joints. There is also an obliquely spreading reed, which does not shoot upwards to any height, but spreads out like a shrub, keeping close to the earth. This reed is much sought by animals when young, and is known by some persons as the elegia. There is in Italy, too, a substance found in the marsh reeds called by the name of Adarka. It is only to be found issuing from the outer skin, below the flossy head of the plant, and is particularly beneficial to the teeth, having in fact an equal degree of pungency with mustard. The terms of admiration in which they are spoken of by the ancients compels me to enter into some minute details relative to the reed beds of the lake Orchomenus. Caracius was the name given there to a reed of stout and compact quality, while a thinner one was known as Plotias. This last was to be found growing on the floating islands there, while the former grew upon the banks that were covered by the waters of the lake. A third kind, again, which has the name of Auleticon, was the same that is now known as the musical pipe reed. This reed used to take nine years to grow, as it was for that period, that the waters of the lake were continually on the increase. It used to be looked upon as a prodigy of evil omen. If at the end of its rise its waters remained overflowing as so long as a couple of years, 
a thing that was observed at the period of the Athenian disasters at Chaeronea and on various other occasions. This lake has the name of Lebaida, at the part where the river Cephesus enters it. When this inundation has lasted so long as a year, the reed is found large enough to be available for the purposes of fowling. At this period it used to be called Zeugetes. On the other hand, when the water subsided at an earlier period, the reeds were known as Bombycii, being of a more slender form. In this variety, too, the leaf of the female plant was broader and whiter than that of the others, while that upon which there was little or no down bore the name of eunuch reed. The stem of this last variety was used for the manufacture of concert flutes. I must not here pass by in silence the marvellous care which the ancients lavished upon these instruments, a thing which will in some measure plead as an apology for the manufacture of them at the present day of silver in presence. The reed used to be cut, as it was then looked upon as being in the best condition, at the rise of Arcturus, an usage which prevailed down to the time of Antigenides, the musician, and while flute-playing was of a more simple style. Being thus prepared, the reeds became fit for use in the course of a few years. At that period, even the reed required considerable seasoning to render it pliable, and to be instructed, as it were, in the proper modulation of its sounds. The mouthpiece and stops being naturally contracted, and so producing a music better adapted to the theatrical taste of the day. But in later times, when the music became more varied, and luxury began to exercise its influence upon the musical taste, it became the general usage to cut the reeds before the summer solstice, and to make them fit for use at the end of three months, the stops and mouthpiece being found when the reeds were cut at that period to be more open and better adapted for the modifications of sound. It is in this state that the reed is used for similar purposes at the present day. In those times it was a very general persuasion also that every pipe ought to have the tongue of its own mouthpiece cut from the same reed as itself, and that a section from that part nearest the root was best adapted to form the left-handed flute, and from the part adjoining the top of the right-handed one. Those reeds too were considered immeasurably superior, which has been washed by the waters of Cephesus itself. At the present day, the sacrificial pipes used by the Tuscans are made of boxwood, while those employed at the games are made of the lotus, the bones of the ass, or else silver. The fowler's reeds of the best quality are those of Panormus, and the best reeds for fishing rods come from Abarita in Africa. Chapter 67. The Vine Dresser's Reed. The reed is employed in Italy more particularly as a support for the wine. Cato recommends that it should be planted in a damp situation, the soil being first turned up with a double mattock, and a distance of three feet left between the young layers. He says, too, that the wild asparagus, from which the cultivated species is produced, may be planted together with it, as they agree particularly well together. He says also that the willow may be planted in its vicinity, than which there is no aquatic plant of more general utility, although the poplar may be preferred for the training of the vine and the support of the succuban grape, although, too, the alder affords a more efficient protection by the hedges it forms, and planted in the watery water makes a rampart among the banks in defence of the adjoining country against the violence of the rivers when they overflow. When cut down, too, this last tree is useful for the innumerable suckers which it throws out. Chapter 68. The Willow. Eight Varieties of It. Of the willow, too, there are several varieties. 
one of them throws out its branches to a considerable height, and these coupled together serve as perches for the vine, while the bark around the tree itself is used for withes. Others, again, of a more pliable nature, supply a flexible twig, which is used for the purpose of tying, while others throw out osiers of remarkable thinness, adapted by their suppleness and graceful slenderness for the manufacture of wickerwork. Others, again, of a stouter make, are used for weaving panniers, and many other utensils employed in agriculture. While from a whiter willow the bark is peeled off, and, being remarkably tractable, admits of various utensils being made of it, which require a softer and more pliable material than leather. This last is also found particularly useful in the construction of those articles of luxury, reclining chairs. The willow, when cut, continues to thrive, and indeed throws out more thickly from the top, which, when closely clipped, bears a stronger resemblance to a closed fist than the top of a stump. It is a tree which, in my opinion, deserves to be placed by no means in the lowest rank of trees, for there is none that will yield a more certain profit, which can be cultivated at less expense, or which is less liable to be influenced by changes in the weather. Chapter 69. Trees in addition to the willow, which are of use in making wines. Cato considers the culture of the willow as deserving to hold the third rank in estimation, and he gives it precedence to the cultivation of the olive, tillage for corn, or laying out land for pasture. It is not, however, because the willow is the only tree that produces wines, for they may be procured also from the broom, the poplar, the elm, the blood-red cornel, the birch, and the reed itself when split, or else the leaves of that plant, as we know to be the case of Liguria. The vine also will furnish them, the bramble too with the thorns removed as well as the twisted hazel. It is a very singular thing that a wood, after it has been beaten and pounded, should be found all the stronger for making wides, but such is a striking peculiarity that exists in the willow. The Greek red willow is split for this purpose, while the willow of Ameria is whiter but more brittle, for which reason it is used in an uncut state for tying. In Asia there are three varieties known of the willow, the black willow, which is best adapted for making wides, the white willow employed for various agricultural purposes, and a third which is shorter than the others and known as the helix. With us also there is the same number of denominations given to as many varieties of the willow, one being known as the viminal or purple willow, another as the nitellina, for its resemblance to the colour of the nitella, thinner in the trunk than the preceding one, and the third as the gallic kind, being the thinnest of them all. End of Section 7 Read for you by Chiquito Crasto, Birmingham, Alabama